Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Would y'all pray with me? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redemption, so that whether it's because of me or even in spite of me, it would still be your word that is faithfully proclaimed and your name that is glorified. Amen. So I just got back from annual conference, which has the complicated experience of being filled with both incredible moments of inspiration, incredible moments of boredom, and incredible moments of uh, irritation. And I'll tell you why. For all of those, it's complicated. When people gather into a room trying to do what is good, when those ideas of what is good are often in competition with one another. And so, as many of y'all know, our United Methodist Church is fracturing, um, splintering pretty quickly around our ideas of what it means to be faithful, about what it means to be good, about what it means to be welcoming and hospitable, all of those things, all of those good conversations held without trust are creating a season of brokenness. And what we've seen, and so just a really weird matter of business, we had two churches that disaffiliated this year. One of them was a church called Trinity on the Hill in Augusta, which is slash was famous for being right across the street from Augusta National. Um, Also known for having lots and lots of money. Also known around our conference for really wishing they could have some independence. And so this, seeing this fracture in the church began a process for them of trying to figure out how they could get their property from the larger denomination. And our denomination put out a pathway, um, which is inspirationally called paragraph 2553. You can write that down uh, for your spiritual practices later. But paragraph 2553 allows churches that have a crisis of conscience because of our book of discipline to disaffiliate without, um, and basically all they would need to do is pay any unfunded liability back to the annual conference. It's all business jargon, right? That's because the church in many ways operates as a business. The problem is, or one of the thousands of problems, is that the these churches that disaffiliated really have no crisis of conscience with our book of discipline. But they filed a lawsuit against the annual conference saying that they should be able to disaffiliate using this paragraph because you can't ask them to report on what their crisis of conscience 
is. You see how complicated this is? If you're confused, great. Because this is, this is part of the reason why our United Methodist Church is dividing against itself so quickly. We have some, and I, you know, I, please, I hope in everything you hear me saying that I think that there is a lot of faithfulness across the spectrum within our United Methodist Church. I am not somebody who's going to say that someone who's either more progressive or conservative than me is less faithful than me. I just don't think that's true. It isn't. But the problem is that we've gotten to a season within the church where we're watching um, more and more people leave the church because of a lack of trust, and more and more people leave the denomination because of a desire to have some control over their own lives and their own spaces, that we have put God as a secondary concern. I was talking to a colleague of mine who's in a church that is actively working to disaffiliate, and they, for the last two years, for the last two years, two whole years, the only conversations that he's been able to have with his church are about process questions about how to disaffiliate how to get the property out of the trust clause of our United Methodist Church's documents, how to get him. I mean, people have asked him, how can we get you to leave? Because he's trying to get them to pivot back to faithfulness. This is the, the, the mess that we're in, is that we are more comfortable having conversations about property and assets and practices and policies than we are engaging with the mystery that is the divine creator of all that exists. And so when we start talking about what it means to trust in God, all we see is the chaos of the world around us. To bring it maybe into, at least into my home, when I am most anxious about the outcome of some event or program, when I am most anxious, I might pray about it, but Lord knows I am putting together a to-do list. I am having a lot of intentional conversation. I'm creating my plan and then asking for God to support me in it. Because when I am most anxious, when I am most anxious, I want to hold it with a tight fist. When I am most anxious, I want to control every variable that I can. When I'm most scared about what might be on the horizon, I want to make plans. I want to have contingencies. Y'all, if you've, if the folks who are on my staff and on my church council, you know that like when I make a plan, I make a plan and then there's a plan B and C and D after the fact that like this probably won't work. So we're going to go with this instead. And if that doesn't work, we'll go over here and it'll be fine. And then it feels like I'm in control, even when things aren't working. Through the whole season of COVID, I described my job. I described, uh, Tim has heard me, who's been a part of this worshiping community, but has led us here. You've heard me say, my job during the whole season of COVID has been to make plans and cancel them. And when I say that out loud, it feels like my plan. Because I know. I know what's going to happen. 
I know I'll make a plan. I know I'll follow these steps. And then when it doesn't work out, I can blame the fact that, well, that was part of my plan. <laughs> that I was going to have to cancel it. Maybe I'm alone here. Maybe y'all are more faithful and intentional than I am. But I, I spend so much of my energy trying to understand every variable around every decision and around every system and every moment, that it sometimes is hard for me to see where God is calling me to go because I would prefer to ask God to follow me way more than I would like to follow God. And so every week, we affirm our faith together with a simple statement, I believe in a triune God who creates all things and calls them good. You know, the next statement, even when, even when loving or trusting God is hard, God provides for us. Even when loving or trusting ourselves is hard, God loves us as we are. Every week we say that. And every week I get caught in the same habit of trying to control the variables, trust in my own effort, and trust in my systems to move forward. So to dig a little bit into scripture here, I we're reading from the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is a really beautiful book in scripture because um, it's just so big. It's so big. And it's likely the case that there are three different groups of authors that put it together. And what we see is a generational trust in what God is doing. For the first 30-some 30 30 chapters, what we see is God describing to the prophet Isaiah about how destruction is going to come to Israel. He's describing a really dark season that God is going to come and uh, allow some other nation to destroy the, the, the nation of Israel and that Jerusalem and the temple would all be torn down because the people who were meant to be faithful to God had learned how to be faithful to their own systems and wealth and power and all of the trappings of what it means to try to control an institution and an organization more than trusting in God. And so God says, like, okay, well, this thing just isn't meaningful anymore. So we're going to let it go. And that's going to be really hard. I mean, really hard. Talking about, like, generations of people pushed from their homes hard. Because that thing cannot be the focus. And then around chapter 40, the language pivots. And part of the reason why the language pivots is because, the, again, this is scholars trying to make educated guesswork. But the assumption is that it was a different author after, after, the, after they had gone through the darkest of seasons. And they begin to see what could come. What could come from a fresh start. The tone shifts. 
and the people remember what they're meant to be most faithful to. And so in chapter 43 of the book of Isaiah, it starts this way. But now, says the Lord, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched and flame will not burn you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, and your place. Because you are precious in my eyes, you are honored, and I love you. I give people in your place and nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, I am with you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This, this is the gift that God offers to us, a people who are wandering. I mean, <laughs> through rivers, as water rises up, as fires come around. Like, the promise here isn't that life won't be difficult. The promise is not that... Life won't have its seasons of storms and floods, of brokenness, that there won't be seasons of fracture and difficulty, but that through it all, through it all, God will be at our side, helping to guide the way. As we see later in the prophetic books, that God will clear a path, making the mountains low and the valleys lifted up, making a path straight for the people who are faithful to this work and this calling and this life. And again, the challenge for us is that too often when we get to the edge of a mountain or the beginning of a dip into a valley, we want to pull out our shovels to clear it ourselves. We want to pull out the dynamite to clear a hole through the obstacles that exist in front of us. We want to sit and gather and meet about ways that we can make the path straight for ourselves and clear a way forward. But what God is describing to a people in a season of immense difficulty is now is not the time to build your system well. Now is the time to lay down our need to control everything in the world around us, to take ownership of our property and assets, to lay all of these things down in order to turn our eyes up to see what God might actually be doing in our world and in our lives. I realize I'm venting to the wrong people here. <laughs> And this is why our annual conference gatherings can be so painful. Because many people see a lot of hope in our capacity to 
stop people from disaffiliating, to control assets within our conference so that we can fund new churches and ministries. And th that was the project this year, to stop Trinity on the Hill from disaffiliating because we could probably get more money from them using a different fund paragraph, 2549, where they don't have a crisis of conscience, but instead have to purchase their property back from the annual conference. You, you see what I mean? We, in an effort to control all the variables, in an effort to make sure we maintain the wealth and status that we have as an annual conference, we're creating weird lines. Don't share this message with our bishop, please. <laughs> but maybe to make it make a little bit more sense for me, and maybe maybe for us in our own actual lives. Susanna read a passage from a book that she's reading to me this morning, and it just like hit so perfectly with today. The author said, um, if you feel so overwhelmed that you don't have five minutes to meditate or to pray, it's probably the right time to sit for an hour. You get it? When you feel so overwhelmed, when you feel like you have to keep working on what the project is, feel like there are too many obligations that need you in order to be fruitful and that nothing would be able to see any progress unless you invested every minute of every hour of every day into it, it's probably the right time to step back. Not to let it go completely, but to put trust in something other than myself for a second. Allow myself to trust in God even when it's difficult. Allow God's voice to reassure me and each of us that you are good enough. Because that's true. You are good enough. It's not your power and systems. It's not your wealth. It's not your access. It's not your network. It's none of those things that gives you value in God's eyes. God puts breath in your lungs even when you don't know it because you are inherently valuable. Existing. Existing is enough. So I encourage you in this week, when you feel most overwhelmed, to put it down for just a second. When you don't have five minutes, take an hour and tell your kid or your boss that I told you that you had to. <laughs> but I know some of our overwhelm is not 
obligation. It's out of our own need to feel busy and productive. At least it is for me. So put it down. Allow yourself to be present to God and see what might come. Because I imagine it will transform us and our world by God's grace. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.